Welcome. My name's Joel Seymour. If you've been here the last six weeks, you may not know this, but I actually pastor this place. Uh, so it's, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, so uh, a couple minor surgeries and a vacation, and then I was in Alaska this week taking our 18-year-old son there who's joining the Alaskan Air National Guard. So it's been a crazy few weeks of uh, being off and then back for two weeks and off and back two weeks and a little crazy. So it's great to be with our church family uh, this morning. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to do some teaching and after our teaching time we're going to have a prayer ministry time where we just we wait on the presence of the Lord during our prayer ministry time and we just have a sense that God still speaks and he still moves, he still heals, he still transforms people and we actually just here at this church we actually give him space to do that and try to listen to what he wants to be done any given service. So we'll end with a prayer time at the end. So let's pray and uh, see what the Lord has in store for us. Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this group of people and uh, that you have called us together here for the last 23 years. You've called us as a church family and just thank you for that. And and uh, we're part of a bigger church family uh, around the whole city. And so we thank you for all the rest of the body of Christ that is meeting uh, together and gathering right now around this city. We pray a blessing on all their services and their gatherings and we pray for your presence to come here and to fill this room and to fill our hearts. May we hear your word. May we meet the word, Jesus Christ, as he was called. May we be transformed by both the written and spoken word and also the word as a person, Jesus. May we be transformed by his presence. In Jesus' strong name I pray, amen and amen. I'm going to tell you a, a, a quick story as we start here. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, I actually read this uh, story. Uh, maybe you saw the story in the news, but uh, a woman named Minnie John, and her first name's Minnie, last name John, but uh, her, her, uh, Minnie John, her husband and her son, they went to Utah, and they went to a national park in Utah, and it has a lot of arches, and the delicate arch, which you see right there, is the biggest one in the whole park, and so they were, they were making their way to this uh, arch to see it, and Minnie started feeling lightheaded, a little dizzy, had a little headache, and she told her uh, husband and son, why don't you just go on ahead, I'm just going to sit on this rock, and you keep hiking and come back and pick me up on the way, and so... She sits down, and, and really the last thing she remembers, she was putting her, her uh, head in her hands like this. She's sitting on this rock, and, and the next thing she knows is she wakes up to a voice saying, stay with us, stay with us, what's going on, what's going on? And it was uh, Dr. Annie Lukemeyer and uh, her sister, Julie Bowen, who's a, uh, an actress, stars on Modern Family, and uh, they had actually seen her fall over off of this rock and uh, pass out, and they ran up to her, and they began to make sure she was okay. Uh, they picked her up, they, they kind of carried her, put her back on the rock, they called for help. Uh, first they called the husband, used her phone, and called the husband, and they ran the 15 minutes from the arch to make sure uh, wife and mom were okay. And uh, then when it was all over, uh, they got a, uh, when she was kind of, you know, feeling better, they did call the squad, but she, uh, Minnie said, can I get a group photo with you? And so here's the group photo, and, uh, you know, uh, she's got a Band-Aid on her lip where she cracked her mouth, and they, they fixed her up. But it turns out she had uh, low blood sugar and dehydration and, and was okay after they took her to the hospital, but that was the picture with 
Dr. Annie Lutmeyer is in the is in the blue, and her sister Julie Bowen, the actress, is uh, next to her there on the on the right. It's a great picture. So many with the women who helped her not not only carry her off the ground, uh, where she's proudly displaying those bandages. Um, you know, they helped her when she fell. And so today's lesson is if if you're hiking and you see somebody who falls down and they faint, you should pick them up and you should bandage them and carry them to safety. So hopefully you get that lesson. It's easy peasy. We'll just go right on to uh, ministry time. I'm done. Uh, I just thought I'd try to preach a shorter sermon than Ryan did a couple weeks ago. Um, just kidding. Um, you're not that lucky. So anyway, if you find somebody who falls on a trail, I was on a lot of trails this uh, week in Alaska. I'm surprised I wasn't one of them that fell down. But if you find somebody who falls down, you should pick them up, right? That's pretty easy in the real world. Like you see somebody who falls, you pick them up and that, that's easy. But, but the question I want to explore today is, what happens if somebody is falling or struggling or uh, carrying a heavy burden that, that isn't a physical burden? What if you see somebody who actually is, is just struggling to live out their faith? Let's talk particularly about somebody who is a follower of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you see that they're, they begin to follow or they begin to fall into a pattern of gossip and you're concerned that they're gossiping and it's it's, it's not only hurting the people that they're gossiping about, it's, it's hurting them as, as friends become less trustworthy of them and, and maybe hold them at a relational distance. If somebody is, is falling into that, what should you do? Um, if somebody is making poor financial decisions and you're just seeing them becoming more and more enslaved in debt, like how, how would you approach that? Uh, if, if you see somebody that seems to be, uh, you know, just doing things that's leading them away from Jesus or, or not following Jesus' command to love their neighbor as themselves or to love God with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Like if you see somebody falling in those ways, how, how should you help them? Uh, if, if you see somebody maybe in your group of friends or even your small group that, that they've begun to use you know, alcohol as a crutch. They're, they're, not, they're not getting smashed, but you, you're, you're concerned that at this point they're, they're using it to medicate every day just from the stresses of life, and you're worried it might be leading to, to an addiction. Like, how do you step in in those moments when you see somebody who is falling? How do you, how do you help them? What do you do? That's the question I want to answer today. You know, we've been in this series called Brand New, and it's been all about the book of Galatians. We only have two weeks left, and it's been about what makes us brand new, brand new enough to be a part of God's people. And in the church that we've been studying, in the book of Galatians, it's actually a group of churches in what we would call modern-day Turkey. They would have called it Galatia back then was what it was called. Um, Paul had, had taught them, a missionary and a church planner had taught them, that the only way to get brand new is just through accepting Jesus, that you can't do enough to earn being brand new. You can't clean yourself up enough to be brand new. Like once you're stained, you're stained. The only way you can be brand new enough to be a part of God's people is to accept that Jesus' work on the cross dying for you to pay your penalty of sin, uh, uh, to redeem you, to buy you back from the clutches of evil, uh, that he bought you, he was, he was the ransom that was paid for you. Like you just trust him that his work on the cross is enough to make you brand new. And through grace, by just believing that, 
God actually gives you grace and mercy. And even if you don't look brand new right now, God looks at you brand new. He sees you as in a position of being brand new. He looks at you and he sees Jesus in you and he goes, that's my son in that person and my son is brand new. My son is always clean and so I see you as clean even if you still have some stains on. You still, even if you screw up, like Jesus looks at you, God looks at you as brand new and then you begin to live that newness out and actually begin to act like, behave like you're brand new. You actually have the actions of a brand new person. Paul would say elsewhere, you're a new creation. Well, after Paul teaches all this, another group of people kind of move in after Paul moves on, he plants other churches, and another group moves in, and they say, no, 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 that's all good and fine and dandy that Jesus plays a part, but, but this part of the book, the whole Old Testament with all its rules and regulations, 613 commands, along with all the traditions of the rabbis from several, hundred, or several thousand years, you have to do all of that to be a part of God's people. So it's not just Jesus alone. You actually have to perform. You have to obey all these rules. And if you obey them enough, you can be a part of God's people then. You'll be brand new and a part of God's people. So uh, what Paul was saying, though, was, was not that these are unimportant. He was saying they're just not the way to become brand new or to be a part of God's people. Now, the people who were kind of infiltrating and teaching this other gospel, uh, which isn't a gospel at all. Um, but the people who were infiltrating, they were afraid that Paul's message of grace would lead people to just leading immoral, unethical lives. Like they would just not be loving towards their neighbors. They would just live however they wanted. They would, they would purposely live unholy because, hey, I'm getting grace after all. Let's just sin some more so I get more grace. And but that wasn't what Paul was saying at all. He wasn't saying that this is unimportant to show you how God, might, how God might want to direct your paths on how to live morally and ethically. He was saying this just isn't the way to become brand new because as we look at the lives of the people who tried to follow all this back there, they didn't live brand new lives. I mean, some of the heroes of the faith. Moses gives in to anger numerous times. David has all kinds of issues as a, as a parent and as a, uh, as a person who committed adultery and tried to cover it up with having one of his own men killed in battle. I mean, these guys were heroes of the faith, and yet by trying to follow all this, they didn't live brand new, Paul said. He said it's got to come from the inside out, and it's through accepting Jesus who makes you brand new. In chapter 5, Paul looks at factions in the church, and you all looked at those the last couple of weeks, and he denounces factions and divisions and conflicts. And so we read that, and, and now Paul is beginning to say, what happens as we turn the corner into chapter 6? He's beginning to ask, what happens if you see somebody who does begin to fall in their faith? Somebody who's trying to follow Jesus, and yet they begin to sin either inadvertently or, or intentionally. What happens is, I think you covered this the last couple of weeks too, that, that broad list that Paul says, if you do these things, you, you don't have any place in the kingdom of God, you won't inherit the kingdom. What if we begin to see people commit those sins within the life of our small group or our other Christian friends or people in our family who claim to follow Jesus? How should we approach them? On, on the one hand, you might say, well, well, maybe you don't say anything at all because Paul said he doesn't like divisions and conflicts in the church, so maybe you just try to keep the peace and you... You don't say anything at all, yet, yet we know Paul says also in chapter 5 that we're to lead loving lives, holy lives, to walk by the Spirit, to not give in to deeds of the sinful nature. 
How can we help one another stay brand new after we've been made brand new in Christ? How can we keep this newness over and over again? And, and what if one of us stumbles? What if one of, one of, us, one of us falls? How, do we, how are we to help one another lead this brand new life that Jesus gives us, to live as a new creation, to be a loving person, to, to use the phrase that's so used in modern culture, to show up as our best self, which would be a godly self, a self that is surrendered to Jesus. How can we help one another do this? This is the question that I want to answer in that Galatians 6 answer. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And I'm actually going to look at two different translations. The NIV, which is a good translation. And then in this particular uh, case, there's a few phrases that the New English Bible actually pulls out some good nuances of the original language that Paul wrote in, which was common Greek. Starting at verse 1, brothers and sisters, meaning um, spiritual brothers and sisters, people who are part of the family of God through Jesus. If someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Let's take a look at the New English uh, Bible. It does a good job here translating this passage. If a man should do something wrong, my brothers and sisters, on a sudden impulse, meaning inadvertently, they didn't plan to sin, but on an impulse they do something wrong, you who are endowed with the Spirit must set him right again very gently. Look to yourselves, each one of you, you may be tempted too. Help one another to carry these heavy loads. Let me just say that again. You know, look to one another to carry these heavy loads, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man imagines himself to be somebody when he's nothing, he is deluding himself. So, so what should we do if we see another brother or sister in Christ? They fall morally or ethically. They, they sin. What if, what if it's not intentional? They just inadvertently do it. And we might, we might go, well, I don't think they meant to do that. Let's just let that one slide. What, what should we do then? Or if they do do something intentionally sinful, what should we do then too? Well, the first thing I want you to notice here that that neither English translation does a good job with, just simply because it's hard to pull this off in the, in the English language without so, sounding Southern, is the yous that are said here in verses 1 through 3, they're all plural. Meaning this, he, he's saying to the whole church community. He's not just saying, like, looking at one person and saying you. He's looking at the whole community and saying you all. That's why it doesn't translate well in English, or you, you think you're from Alabama or Georgia. You know, you all. It's, it's, it's this whole group. He's speaking to the whole church, and he's speaking to the whole church, and he says you all are to carry one another's heavy burdens. You know, our struggles our temptation, this, this passage is about somebody who is struggling with sin. They inadvertently sin. They, they, they stumble. They fall. He said, this is a heavy burden. Part of the human condition is we struggle with temptations even after we start following Jesus. And not, not a one of us live this thing out perfect, do we? Like, you can't hardly make it through a day and live it perfect, right? You can't hardly, you know, most of us won't make it through this service, right? Like, it's just so easy to sin. And Paul is saying this is a heavy burden that we carry and that as a church community, all of us ought to help one another carry this heavy burden. 
He says, you all, speaking again to the whole community, you all who are endowed with the Spirit. Well, who, who would that be as followers of Jesus? Everybody in the room who claims to follow Jesus, right? That has Jesus in their heart. You have the Holy Spirit. And so all of you are spiritual people. All of you are endowed with the Spirit of Christ. And Paul is saying all of us should be engaged in this endeavor to help one another carry the heavy burden of trying to live brand new. And this heavy burden of when we fall, how do we get restored? How do we, make, how do we get made right? Verse 2 says this kind of carrying one another's heavy burden, helping someone is actually part of Christ's law, living out Christ's law. And what is living out Christ's law was Amber taught a couple weeks ago from chapter 5, verse 14, we learned that Christ's law is loving your neighbor as yourself. One of, one of the most loving things we can do as fellow believers is to help carry someone's heavy burden of sin when they fall. Paul uses the word restore or set right. It, it, in the ancient language that he wrote in, it's the, it's the language of setting a bone when it's broken, or oftentimes it's used in ancient language of, of setting a dislocated bone. You ever seen when somebody dislocates a bone? Football season's getting ready to start. And uh, you got, I got a fantasy football draft this evening with some friends, you know, and um, I like watching football, but one of the most painful things to watch is like when somebody dislocates a shoulder and you know the trainer runs out they sit him the, you know the guy looks like he's about to die you know because his shoulders you know it's doing this look like a fish out of water and, and so the trainer goes over and you know it's one of those like you can see the trainer's giving him a pep talk like this is gonna hurt um and it's not this is gonna hurt me more than you it's gonna this is gonna hurt you more than me definitely and you know and then he pulls that thing in and you see the girl go like that you know and and you're doing that at home watching on tv like oh man my shoulder hurts watch it it's painful to set something right it's painful to restore that to its right position right it's awkward i mean i've never set a bone maybe some of you are emts or physical therapists maybe you've had to do that where you have to push that in i mean i gotta feel that's probably a little awkward to do that to somebody else right and yet the most loving thing you could do in that situation is what Grab that arm and throw it back in socket. Right? The most loving thing you can do is the painful and awkward thing of grabbing that thing. And I think Paul uses that word for that very reason that if we're talking about helping somebody in our life who is committing sin or has fallen or has screwed up something, or, and maybe they know it, maybe they don't, it's awkward to help them but the most loving thing you could do is actually to help restore that to health, right? Well, how do we do that? Where do we start? Paul says in verse 1, we need to take a look at ourselves. Watch ourselves, he says, or you may also be tempted. The first thing we need is help, humble self-assessment. We need to look at our own temptations and failings. You know, we need to come to a place where before we rush in, like, man, I can't believe they're screwing up. I need to go help them, that idiot, you know. We need to, like, look at ourselves and say, what am I struggling with? Where am I not living out such a brand new kind of life? And when we see that, we have that healthy self-assessment, then 
we can come at it from a loving angle, right? Not a judgmental angle. This isn't about being judgmental when we're helping somebody else. This isn't about being moralistic and high and mighty. Paul says, humble yourself and take some self-assessment of where you struggle, where you're tempted, before you rush in and help somebody else. Some of you might remember this. How did Jesus put it if somebody has a speck in, uh, in their eye that you notice? He says what? First take care of the what in your own eye. The plank. I was going to get a plank for an illustration, but they're too expensive right now, so I didn't want to spend the money, but, you know. You get the point, right? Like, Clay's got a speck in his eye, and I've got a two-by-four sticking out of my head, you know. Uh, I need to take care of this, right? Because if I try to get close to him, sorry, Clay, you're going to be a prop. If I try to get close to him, and he's got a speck, you know, I'm hitting him, right? Like, I'm... <laughs> sorry about your eye there. Um... If anybody can play bass, we need you second service now. Um, I need to first be humble and go, wait a second, I got something. It's not that I have to be perfect before I jump in. It's that I need to at least recognize I have an issue of my own and take care of it and jump in. And it might be simultaneous. It might be like, hey, Clay, I know I got my own issue here, but I see something in your life. I want to help. So it can be simultaneous, but I need to be humble enough to see my own stuff and then go in and help. Well, how could you apply that portion of the scripture? Just right there. Well, think of somebody near you right now. I want you to think of a real life person, somebody who's a follower of Jesus. Think of them right now, and they're struggling with some kind of temptation or sin. Maybe even that struggle has led them to carry a burden. Maybe they've even fallen to some degree or made poor choices. You, you, you want to help them because you love them, but you're apprehensive. Or, or maybe, maybe you're not apprehensive, maybe you're just angry. Maybe you're just upset about the decisions they're making. So think about that person in your life right now. Real exercise, not rhetorical. Like, think of somebody right now who's a follower of Jesus who's struggling with an issue in their life, like a sinful issue. Now I want you to stop and ask the Holy Spirit, To even just reveal, like do a healthy self-assessment, ask the Holy Spirit to just even reveal, to temper any judgmentalism you may have, to temper any uh, hypocrisy you might have, or pride. Just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal a few things you're struggling with right now, right now in this moment. Think of those things you're struggling with. Now ask yourself, how would I want somebody to help me? What attitude would I want them to have with me if they were going to help me in this area of my life? Just think about a few real life practical ways you'd want somebody else to approach you. Assuming you actually want help in those areas of your life. Now take those few practical things of how you would want somebody to approach you as you've done a healthy self-assessment and now begin to think, how could I plan 
to help my friend in those same ways. Just begin to think, imagine that. Like if I was to take how I want to be approached and helped with these areas of my life where I'm struggling, now begin to think, okay, I want to approach my friend because I love them. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I want to approach my friend. Here's how I'm going to do it because this is how I would want to be loved and approached. So right there is a simple exercise that you could do when you see somebody that you know you need to help who's struggling with sin or temptation, who has fallen even, either inadvertently or intentionally, has fallen into sin. You could actually begin to use that as a method of self-assessment. Like, Lord, I want to help my friend. Remind me of what I struggle with. How would I want to be helped and approached? And then use that method to approach your friend. So how could you actually help them? Well, you, the next part is you've got to actually have a conversation. One of the best ways to help someone is to carry their heavy burden is to have a conversation. Jesus not only taught us to have these conversations, whether they've sinned against us or whether they have something against us, he always told us to have these kind of awkward, hard conversations. He was skilled at having these kind of conversations. Whether with tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners or religious folks or prostitutes or even brothers within families who were having family squabbles, we see that in the New Testament, Jesus had these conversations about wrong actions and wrong attitudes. And again, this isn't about being judgmental or moralistic in your conversation. Remember, the overarching picture is we're to help carry one another's burdens, and so the way you have this conversation should not be this. It should be coming alongside of them and helping them carry a heavy load. And so one of the things you may want to start with is just a whole lot of questions. Not interrogation, but just questions like, how are you doing? And I, I heard you say you didn't like this about yourself. Or you didn't like this action or this attitude. Or, hey, I don't know if you realize, but, you know, that conversation you were having yesterday, that, that sounded a lot like gossip. Could, could we talk about that a little bit? And I would just ask questions, not an interrogation, but like, like, why do you think that happened? Or why did you, you know, i just interested, like, why did you share that information? Again, not like this, but just out of love and concern. And you just have to have these conversations if we're actually going to help set and restore them. It's awkward, right? This is... This is awkward, putting that back in. But the only way I know to help somebody in these situations is actually to have the conversation with them. So a few moments ago, we paused to think of somebody who was struggling with sin and temptation. We asked God to show us the right attitude to approach them. We, we wanted to know how we would want to be approached. Now, the way we can apply these verses is to actually have the conversation. So think about that real person again. Think about how you said you wanted to approach them because it would be how you would want to be approached. Think about when you could have a conversation with that person. Maybe today or later this week. Don't put it off because it will actually be a way of helping them, Paul says. You'll help carry their burdens. It is a heavy burden to carry your own struggles and your own sin by yourself, isn't it? It's a heavy burden to be left with your own thoughts. I know we all have pride and we get embarrassed because we wouldn't want somebody to actually address the brokenness in our life, but it's a heavy burden to think about, man, I don't like this about myself. I don't like that I did this. And 
I want to be, I want to live as a new creation as Christ calls me. I want to live this brand new life, but I struggle. It's a heavy burden to have that. And we need some loving brothers and sisters who will come alongside of us and help us carry the burden. Ongoing newness involves carrying one another's burdens. Now, Paul has a little more to say. We're just going to cover two more verses and we'll wrap up. Take a look at verses 4 and 5. Each one, now the reason it says each one there is it's the same word as you, except in Paul's original language, he has switched in these verses to a singular you. Now, he, whereas verses 1 through 3, he was talking to all of us as a collective group. Now he's talking to individuals, each of us as an individual. Each one of you should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Again, I'll read from the New English. does a good job. Each man or woman should ex- examine their own conduct for themselves. Then they can measure their own achievement by comparing himself with himself and not with anyone else. For everyone has his own proper burden to bear. What kind of burden was the first one when we fall and we sin? That's, that, what kind of burden is that? Is it a light burden? What kind of burden is it? It's a heavy burden. Now he's switching to the individual and he's saying, listen, you need to examine your own life. Now he's not talking about sin so much. Now he's talking about your vocation. Now don't think job. Vocation in the Christian world means your calling in life, your station in life. It includes your job, for certain, but it includes like your marital status, your family status, your friends, the neighborhood you live in, where you're at. It's the calling you have in ministry, where you're supposed to be serving, like all those things. Paul is saying, now to each person, test your own actions, and I want you to think, of, I don't want you to compare yourself to anybody else's calling. He's saying, I want you to, to compare yourself to yourself, meaning your own vocation. What has God called you to do in life? So think about that right now. What has God called you to do in life? Maybe it's your family, maybe it's in your church, maybe it's in your community. We're not to compare ourselves to someone else, thinking of ourselves as having a better calling or thinking of ourselves as a lesser calling. We're to compare ourselves to ourselves in the sense we're to look at the calling God has put on each of us. And then he says, we are to carry that burden ourselves. So if the first burden, the heavy burden, that's when we sin, it's like those boxes that you get, like if you go buy something big, it says team lift required. The heavy burden of sin is actually supposed to be something that when we fall, it's to be this community effort that we help one another carry that burden and help restore one another to brand newness. But this one, this is the calling that God has given you in life, and this is something you can carry by yourself. It's a proper thing. You, you, you're not, somebody else can't carry your marriage, right? Like, you're going to have to do that. So, somebody can't work your job for you. Man, I don't like my job. I'm going to find somebody else to do it for me. But they don't do that, right? Like, nobody's going to come work your job. You've got to work your job. I'm really tired of parenting these toddlers. I've got to find somebody to do it for me. Nobody can carry that burden for you. That's your burden. God called me to this ministry. I've got to find somebody else to, you know, do it. Cause I'm just tired of working this, this ministry. Man, what? You can't do that. Like, 
If he's called you, I don't know, whatever ministry you're involved in, whether it's being on the worship band, being a, being a greeter, being, being engaged at, at the food pantry, volunteering at the homeless shelter here in town, whatever ministry he's called you, like that's your thing, that's your vocation, that's the calling God has put on you. And Paul says, that's, that's the thing you have to carry. When we fall down and we sin and we struggle with temptation, Paul says, you all as a community, let's get involved, let's help one another carry these heavy burdens. But when it comes to yourself as an individual, think about what God has called you to do, and you got to carry that one. Like, it doesn't mean you don't have help and friends and all that praying for you. I get that. But there's, there's a calling on your life that you just have to live out. That's on you. See, I'm responsible for me, and I'm accountable to you. Things get really weird when I think, you're responsible for me, and I'm going to be accountable to me. Can I say that again? I'm responsible for me, but I'm accountable to you. Things get weird when I think you're responsible for me, and I'm accountable to me. Well, why? Well, because I start sloughing off responsibility for my life, and I, and I make this person in charge of me. And then I can blame them if things don't go right in my life. And then I'm accountable to me. Why? Well, because I don't want you to call on me on my stuff. <laughs> if I'm accountable to me, I can justify a whole lot of things. Paul says, you're responsible for your own calling in your life. Verses 1 through 3 is a warning about not going it alone, not helping other people carry their burden or not allowing others to help you. Verses 4 through 5 is a warning to those who want to shirk their personal responsibility for their own burden. As New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it in these verses, he made a comment on these verses, the pride of going alone and the laziness of hoping everyone else will do the hard work are both to be avoided. That is fairly obvious. The trick is to discern which danger is the more pressing at any given moment? It's a good quote. That's why I used it. So how could we apply these verses? Well, I think there's a vocational self-awareness we need to have. By that, I mean knowing your calling in your life, among your family, your friends, your community, your work, your ministry. Paul calls that vocation your proper burden. And again, if God's called you to parent, nobody else is going to parent your kids except you. You can have help, but it's your responsibility, not anybody else's. If you have a calling on a ministry to serve, to volunteer somewhere, that's on you. Again, people are going to help you. People are going to train you. I get that. But you actually have to be the one to live that out. If, if you're called to, to be in a certain job, like nobody else is working that job for you, that's you. I want you to ask, you know, we asked God and his spirit a few moments ago about some things. Let's, let's ask God to review any proper burden you're responsible for. So just pause right where you're at. Just ask God to reveal, it could be in family relationships, could be marital status, could be a job, could be a ministry. What calling has God given you? What vocation has God called you? What station in life? Maybe that's better than vocation because we always think vocation in strictly job terms. What station in life has God called you to be responsible for caring? Just think of that right now. Ask the Spirit to reveal to you what he's called you to do. I'll just ask him if, 
if you've been lazy with that at all, if you've shirked any responsibility of carrying it, if you've actually thought other people were going to be responsible for carrying the call he's given you, And if he reveals some things on that, we'll, we'll have some time in just a few minutes to pray about that. Ongoing newness involves carrying one another's heavy burdens, but also carrying our own proper burden. One is we're carrying the heavy burden for one another of when we fall. We're helping one another get restored. The other is about our calling and our station in life that we're to carry ourselves. Now, it can be tough to discern this dance between the two. As N.T. Wright says, it's trying to discern which I'm more in danger. I'm more in danger of going alone or am I more in danger of being lazy? Um, so that can be a hard dance, so maybe this will help. Let me show you a picture. This is from 16 years ago. So let's show this picture. So everybody go, aw. Yeah, yeah. So that's me. I'm the bigger one in the red T-shirt. And, uh, and then I'm, that's Emmy that I'm carrying, right? That's proper. Why? Because she's an infant. She can't walk. Like, I'm responsible for her at that moment, right? I got to carry her. That's, that's proper. But let's say it's 16 years. Let's, let's fast forward 16 years. And what if this is what it looks like today? What if I'm, like, <laughs> still carrying her everywhere? Like, if I'm still carrying her everywhere right now, I have done something to her development, right? I have stunted her growth. This is bad if I'm still carrying her, right? But what if the picture looks like this and I'm still carrying her? Well, uh, I mean, if she was actually wounded. Uh, this is our poor attempt at acting. Um, so, like, she's busted her head. She's got an ace bandage. She sprained her head. Uh, so I got an ace bandage on her head. And she's got a sling and a bandage on her leg. And there's a bandage on her cheek, I think, too. So... This would be proper at that time for me to carry her, right? Because she has fallen, and you all who are spiritual, Paul says, we're to carry the heavy burden, you know, of, of when we fall, we're to help one another, right? That's proper. But eventually, she's called to live a certain way herself, and so she begins to carry herself more. Let's take a look at that one. And so now she's carrying herself. I'm still helping her, right? But she's taking responsibility for her own healing and her own journey, but I'm still helping her. And eventually it may more look like this, actually, this last picture. It's like we're helping one another. I, I somehow sprained my head, and so I have an ace bandage on my head. So this is the picture Paul wants us to have is that if somebody falls in, in, in sin and they've hurt themselves, we're to gather and to help them, but then they're to take proper responsibility for the calling in their life, and, and they're to live that out. And I think it gets to the place where we're just continually helping one another. One wounded warrior to another wounded warrior. One frail human who stumbles and falls and doesn't mean to, and yet, even on our best days, our attitudes, our actions, we, we don't live up to the holiness of Jesus, and, and so we're helping one another aspire to that place. When one falls, we're picking them up, but yet we're taking responsibility for the calling God has put on our life and walking it out ourselves. Ongoing newness involves carrying one another's heavy burdens and our own proper burden. I think I'm just going to, I'm going to close there because we're running out of time and I obviously lied and didn't preach a shorter sermon than Ryan. And so can we just stand and, and do a, a ministry time
I just invite the spirit of Jesus to enter the room. I just declare in faith, since the Spirit put me on this at the end of worship and then I'm sensing it again now, I just declare in faith, like, there are going to be people, like, individuals in the room who are transformed during this ministry time. Like, there's some people that have been captured by some thinking that is destroying you. You're going to be set free during this prayer ministry time. Somebody needs physical healing. I believe the Spirit of Jesus is here for physical healing this morning. And I'm not just rah, rah, cheerleading. I actually feel faith building up in me to say, there's going to be some people who get physically healed this morning. Somebody, you have been far from Jesus. You knew Jesus when you were much younger, and yet you have been far from Jesus. And Jesus is is calling you in this moment. Like he's calling you to, 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 to return to him. And, and there's going to be some people who recommit to Jesus, I believe. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, come in all your fullness and all your power. The Lord wants to set free some people that he has put a calling on your life. He's he's called you to certain stations in life, a vocation. Again, not just job, I mean station in life. And, And your first response when he calls you to do something is, I can't. I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I haven't got enough training, I'm my past, I mean... It's a variety of reasons. There's, there's actually a handful of people that are in that boat. And, and your first response when God calls you to something is, I can't. And Jesus is setting you free from that thinking right now. Setting you free from that thinking. Come, Holy Spirit. So we're waiting on the Spirit. We just invite, Prayer team, would you please come up and just... Small group members who know how to pray for people, small group leaders, other people who've just been through prayer training. I think ministry time is one of those times each and every week where we get to live this verse out, these verses. Because there is there's nothing more loving, I think, love our neighbors as ourselves, to actually say, can I pray for you right now? And invite the Spirit of Jesus to do something in your life. And on the other hand, there's, there's no better way to humble ourselves than to say, I need prayer. There's no better way to help carry somebody's burden than to start by praying with them. There's a closeness that happens there, a camaraderie. So even the people right now that have that 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 just said that your first inclination is to say, I can't, for various reasons, that you know your thinking needs freed up on that area. I just want to, would you just come? Just come right now and just say, yeah, I was one of those people. I just, I just respond to the Lord. I can't because um, I think less of myself and, and I want to be set free from that. So whoever that is, I just want to encourage you to come forward and, and uh, to, to pray with folks.